Good morning and welcome to another episode of Green Squad Chats. Today we're going to be talking all things taxes. Tax strategies, when used properly, can provide an immense amount of leverage in your real estate portfolio. Quick disclaimer, none of us are attorneys, none of us are CPAs, we're not your attorney and we're not your CPA. All of the things that we're going to discuss today are our own opinions and they may be tax tools that we've personally used, but you are responsible for verifying that they're the right tools for you and that you're using them properly. So good morning, fellas. Let's kick this thing off. Uh, first question I want to ask to the group today is what are some tax strategies that any real estate owner, you don't really have to even be an investor. Uh, what are some tax strategies that really anyone should know when getting involved in real estate? We'll go out to uh, to Adam first on this. The, the most simple basic one is if you're taking a real estate professional election on your taxes because you spend 700 hours a year or two hours a day, on real estate, then your real estate or your CPA can give you an election as a real estate professional, which allows you to take uh, unique tax advantages in the real estate industry. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, I know a lot of real estate agents and you don't have to be an agent to take that, that election, but I know a lot of real estate agents that have some passive losses and they're not taking full leverage of that, uh, of that benefit and it ultimately hurts them when they don't. That's a really good one. It allows you to write off more stuff, right? Yeah. Essentially what, what filing as a qualified real estate professional does is it takes all your, uh, instead of separating it between active gains and losses and passive gains and losses, it makes the activities in that real estate investment all account as active when you, when you elect as a real estate professional. And so you can count what would otherwise be passive losses against active gains. Like, for example, if you're a real estate agent, a large amount of 1099 income, it can count against that. So how does that help across the spectrum? You know, you got some, maybe you have a seasoned investor, right? How does that work between an LLC? Does the structure of the LLC matter when it comes to being a real estate professional? Yeah, Travis, that's a great question. It does not. So... I'll take my personal uh, my personal case as an example. My LLC is a single member LLC, and so that's really just a disregarded entity as a pass through to me with some liability protection. And so it doesn't matter in as long as I'm performing. I think it, they regard it as material participation in that activity. Uh, you know, for a total of 750 hours per year defined by the IRS, then it doesn't matter what entity it's in, uh, how it's structured. I'm still going to be able to use that to qualify. Nice. I had a phone call, a conversation yesterday at a meetup I was at and there was a question he asked me. He's like, "The what does owning a business or having an LLC do? How does it help me with my taxes? And I said, well, you know, it's great that you can use, for example, I drove down here, drove an hour to come to the meetup. That's all going to be a taxable write-off for me because it's real estate related. And if I go to see my family, back in another state, I'm going to go look at real estate and I can use that as a portion. And you have an LLC that allows you to write that stuff off as expenses because it's real estate related and it doesn't count against your personal income. And so there's a lot of benefits between taxes and having an LLC set up that you can, um, you know, offset the income that you probably ha have throughout the year. And since we're on the topic of LLCs, this is probably like one of the most common things where people get their wire crossed. There's two components when you talk about an LLC. One is asset protection 
and one is how an LLC is taxed. An LLC in and of itself has nothing to do with taxes. It's how it's taxed. So like most investors or even real estate agents may get paid as a 1099 through an LLC, pass through entity, single member person. But as you scale a business and those people are getting taxed as a um, as self-employed tax, which is like, don't quote me on this, like 15 point something percent. It's pretty big compared to if you have W-2 employees and you're paying employer tax on that same money, it's less. So when you're an LLC that is taxed as an S-corp, there are tax advantages that you're not paying self-employed tax or you're not paying... Um, now, if you're a business owner and you have LLC employees, they're paying their own self-employed tax, you're not paying it. So that's a benefit to the business. But uh, when you start paying yourself and you start taking owner distributions out of the business and you're paying self-employed tax, that's a pretty hefty tax, uh, 15 point something percent. Plus, you know, if it's coming to your personal and you're making money in other places, you have your tax, your marginal tax rate. Just to hammer something home, the, the benefits that Travis was talking about are absolutely tax benefits, but they would be available to anyone who, who, is investing in real estate regardless of the entity that that person is using to invest in real estate. So um, just in case uh, we, we added any confusion there. Hey, the, the one other thing I want to throw out real quickly at a, at a building block level is that all of us use CPAs to do our taxes. Just in case uh, somebody out there is wondering if we're figuring all this stuff out on TurboTax. And while we share a lot of information and offer tax tips to one another, there are professionals behind the scenes who are helping us make uh, t smart tax decisions every day. Yeah, thanks, Tom. That's that's a really great point, and that brings me back to bringing up something that uh, I think we all believe in: that real estate is a team sport. What you just said made me realize: like, I bring my lender some really crazy situations sometimes. I bring my CPA some really crazy situations sometimes. I think it's incumbent upon a savvy investor to learn these uh, learn these different tools for themselves, so they can not always have to consult with a CPA to uh, use the information properly, but it having that in your back pocket as a resource is indispensable. Marty, were you about to say something? Yeah, I was just going to kind of go off of that. Like, um, you know, it's great that we have CPAs and, and I, I'm 100% I'm on board with that, but we also have to, I think, come with, in with, uh, they don't know everything and they don't have everything memorized. And so, you know, us talking and, and being educated and, and using each other's um, strategies that we can bring to our CPA and say, hey, I got a buddy who's doing this. And then they can look into it with their knowledge and, and come away with that. Um, you know, perfect example for me was I had a CPA who didn't know anything about the military. And as a guardsman, you can kind of write off some of the mileage. And he had no clue on that. And so when I brought that up to him, we had to amend my last three, two years of tax returns and, and it, you know, gave me a bunch of money just by bringing that up to him, but he had no clue. So just don't be afraid to bring that up to your CPA and ask questions. I think it's important too, from taxes that you look at, you know, your t if you have a situation or a scenario, your, uh, your CPA is going to look at it one way. And I think as you decide to create more, you know, have more real estate, invest more, you're going to have a legacy mindset and how you're going to move that through. And then you're going to have to, you know, I think you're having a real estate attorney, you maybe have an estate attorney, like they're going to have different outcomes of different, Hey, I can do this in this scenario. And sometimes, you know, even on the grand scheme of things, when you look at a family office, which is 
you know, tens of millions of dollars executing, like everybody's collaborating for the, for the best thing to come forward. And sometimes as you're starting out, you're like, I'm only going to talk to the CPA, but you've got to also look at the other people that are involved in bringing your team on as you grow and scale to maximize the tax, um, you know, not only for each year, but when you die and setting that up correctly. I want to tie this back to um, the team aspect of it, right? I think that a lot of times someone who is just getting started in investing or thinking about starting a business, it could be overwhelming. Uh, just, you know, just listen to the first five minutes of this. Maybe somebody out there was overwhelmed, but we very quickly got to the point of, hey, we have a CPA. We have team members that can help us navigate a lot of this stuff that is or may seem overwhelming. And so um, for me, what's the the key lesson here is you can get a strong team around you so that as a team, you can accomplish so much more than you would be able to do or that you may feel comfortable doing by yourself. So I think that's important to hit. Thanks for that perspective, Brandon. I think another tool that I want to bring up, and, and it's one either most of us have used or are using now is the capital gains tax exemption for owning your primary residence. Can anyone elaborate on that a little bit more? I can because I'm selling up my primary residence. If you have an investment property and you depreciate it, which I'm sure you'll touch on here shortly, James, which means, um, you know, basically the IRS says that your asset over time is going to devalue based on it's a hard structure and it gets and worse and worse condition over time. So they're able to depreciate that asset or the components thereof with your primary residence. So then when you sell it, because you didn't live in it, you pay a capital gains tax, either short or long-term because it's an investment and you pay back depreciation on your primary residence. And this is why the military community is really powerful with the VA loan. You don't pay, if you've lived in that house two years of the last, I believe it's 10, or some some two years anywhere in the last 10 years you lived in that house, you don't pay a capital gains tax, which um, is is obviously really powerful because a capital gains tax can be pretty significant, you know, 15, 30% or something like that. I don't know the exact number, but they're taking a bunch of that that gain that you made. Yeah, Adam. So, so uh, something you mentioned is a thing I wanted to bring up specifically for military. So, the rule for anyone, regardless of your, you know, civilian or military status is any two out of the last five years. And it can truly be any two. It could be the first year and the last year of that five-year period. But if you hit that as your primary residence, then you're exempt from paying capital gains tax. If you've owned the asset longer than one year, that's taxed at a long-term rate. In most people, you're going to fall in that 15% tax bracket for that. Um, you're capped at up to a quarter million dollars of profit if you're filing single and then uh, capped at a half million dollars of profit if you're filing as married. So just to give you some perspective, if you did this as a single filer and you did cap, you you know, you were able to appreciate the full quarter million dollars and you didn't know about the rule and you sold it one day shy of two years just because you, you were naive and you didn't realize it, you just incurred a $37,500 tax liability. You just gave that away basically didn't use it, um, which would be a real travesty. Now, here's the cool thing. If you're in the military, instead of any two out of the last five years, you can do a one-time extension, uh, one property at a time for up to 10 years. If you're, It's only if you're active duty, not not, uh, not reserve, not guard. So if as long as you don't overlap properties doing that, it could be any two out of the last 15 years. So 
you guys, everybody on this call is married except for me. This is why I move every two years. I restart my clock so I can do another capital gains tax exemption. Uh, so it's it's been pretty impactful for me. I, I sold my Virginia house last year, and uh, and I the profit was basically tax free. I'll just pay the depreciation recapture for the two years I used it as a rental, uh, which wasn't too bad. Hey, that's awesome, James. I'd love to hear more about the uh, depreciation because we all know, or maybe we don't all know, right? If you're renting out a property, one of the tax benefits is you can depreciate that property. Um, and it's some people call it a paper loss, right? Even though you may be profitable with cash flow, you could have a loss on your taxes because of the depreciation. But then when you sell it, if you don't do some kind of 1031 exchange, then you have to recapture that depreciation tax. Yeah, I get so passionate about this topic because. I I think early on in my investing trajectory, I didn't realize the the power that it held if you use it properly. And uh, I've since really, really looked into that and used it in my portfolio with a lot of results. So let's get into that real quick. So, by the way, this isn't some this isn't some hack. This isn't some scam. Like, this is using what's in the federal tax code to your maximum advantage. All this stuff is totally legal and promulgated to any you know, any citizen that wants to use it. So the IRS says you can depreciate the structure, not the land, but just the structure of residential um, property that's held for investment over a lifetime of 27.5 years. How they came up with that, I have no idea, but that's the that's the time. So let's say you have a structure that's uh, $275,000 worth and let's just say the land is worth 100, you pay 375 for it. You're gonna be taking a paper loss of $10,000 per year. So that's going to be a loss against any net operating income that you brought in on that property. Um, so, you, you know, you won't pay tax on that $10,000. That is called straight line depreciation. Everyone can do that. That's the natural progression of taking depreciation. Now, in 2017, the government came out with an act uh, where you could do what's called bonus depreciation. It's also referred to as accelerated depreciation, where you can go in. And you can assess all the equipment that's in that house. So like if you look behind me, I've got I've got doors, I've got a ceiling fan, I've got plantation shutters, I've got a lot of things, I've got trim in this house. So if you look at it uh, on a very tactical level for what are, what are the actual furnishings, equipment, uh, fixtures in the home, then instead of that being assessed on a 27.5 year basis, uh, that's assessed on a different schedule depending on which item that is. I don't have it memorized, but they have a schedule where blinds might last 10 years and countertops might last 15 years and doors might last five years, et cetera, et cetera. You pay a service to do this. You can do it yourself. It's tricky. You pay a service to do this. That's called a cost segregation study. And instead of $10,000 per year that you're going to take on that $275,000 structure, you can take a lot more. A good rule of thumb is maybe 25 to 30% of the structure value at purchase. So for 275, you're looking at maybe 75 to 80 grand. Again, that's definitely not a guarantee, but that's like a pretty good rule of thumb. You're going to take a lot of upfront depreciation. That's not a true realized loss. You didn't lose $75,000 if you do that accelerated depreciation, but you can offset it in your taxes. Any questions on that? That was a lot. Uh, all at once. Can, can you talk to about how much the, of that depreciation you can take if you are a real estate professional or if you are not? Yeah. So where this works really well, if you're not a real estate professional is if that property might be an Airbnb, 
and it's bringing in an immense amount of revenue because you're going to use that depreciation to offset the revenue. And within that property, you'll be able to, uh, you'll still be able to net zero or maybe a little net positive. However, if you're not bringing in an immense amount of revenue, uh, for example, my multifamily portfolio in Tampa, they're not really cash flow machines. They don't bring in a ton of revenue. So at the end of the year on each property, when I did this bonus depreciation, I have a massive loss, uh, over $50,000 on paper. If I was not a real estate professional, I, I'm capped at what loss I can take. But as a real estate professional, uh, that instead of being a passive loss for depreciation, it's counted as active. And then I am capped at the total bonus depreciation that I can take for a year, which is over a million dollars. Uh, it's a, I think it's 1.1 or so million dollars of depreciation that you're capped at. You can't take more than that. So filing as a real estate professional, because I do materially participate in my investments here in Tampa, is a huge advantage for me tying the, the bonus depreciation with it. Just a quick point of clarification on that, James. So those folks out there listening that are not real estate professionals uh, who would like to take advantage of, of depreciation or otherwise accumulate passive losses, they can still take the loss. However, it would simply be rolled over if it cannot offset uh, real estate income, it would simply be rolled over for future use. So it doesn't go away, but it wouldn't necessarily be, be give the same immediate benefit uh, that those losses would to a real estate professional. Yes. Yeah, so if you're under the income threshold, I think it's around 150,000. If you're under that, then you can take a maximum of $25,000 passive loss offset against your active income. Uh, past that, you can't take it and you have to roll it forward. A really good way to consider this holistically, especially if you invest passively as a, uh, in syndications, is to phase your involvement in syndications. The first year of syndications are likely going to be a loss, uh, whether that's a passive loss or true loss. And so if you're continuing to do syndications in future years, that passive gain is going to offset more passive losses that you're taking. Uh, I've seen people do that pretty successfully, and that's that's one strategy that can be used. Essentially, just creating more passive gains to offset the loss. It's important to know too, from a cent from it as a, are you talking as an LP in a syndication? Yep. As an LP in a syndication, you're going to get the, your K one. That's going to show that bonus depreciation. The GPs can hear and educate the LPs. The LP should know going forward or feel free to ask questions when they're doing, you know, the webinar about the property or whatever, that certain things have a different shelf life, like a bush, I think is five years or something else at seven and 10 years. And if you're in a syndication and they do all this bonus appreciation and they sell at four years and uh, 364 days and they've the bonus appreciated these five-year entities, well, it's not prorated. You have to pay all of that back. And so there's, you know, there's making sure that you're depreciating the things that if you're going to do a five-year hold on a, on a property that they go five years in a day to make sure that that bonus appreciation for those five year entities was accounted for. And they're not bonus appreciation, the seven and 10 and longer year items. There's a couple of other packs too for taxes that I think we should cover. And as we kind of get to the end here, two things that I, I think are not commonly known are section 179 of the tax code, which, you know, if you're a business and you have a lot of revenue coming through, so over time, you're going to gain traction, you're gonna start making more and more money. And, you know, obviously, you can invest in apartments and syndications, GPLP, you can put money in your whole life bucket, if you do that, fill up all your Roths. And then 
these buckets start to overflow and you need other places to put your money. And section 179 of the tax will let you depreciate like a vehicle that's over 6,000 pounds as an example that's used for your business. So if you went out and bought, say like a Tesla Model X for 130 grand, some of that is going to be leveraged on debt, which is not money out of your pocket. And you can depreciate that entirety of that vehicle in one year. Um, or if you're a super high earner, you know, you can buy things like an airplane and depreciate that for your business. This is why you see like these hundred million dollar net worth folks, four or five hundred million billion dollar net worth folks who are flying around in private jets for business, either chartered or they are at a position where they buy their own so that they can depreciate that on their taxes. And then the other thing that some people know, I don't think it's as common though, is you can actually pay your kids, which is really, really powerful for legacy wealth. Um, you can pay your kids, I think it's up to $12,000. So if they're in any of your social media posts or you've got them doing work inside of your business, and it has to be reasonable. So if they're like a baby and you're posting them on social media, you probably can't pay them the full $12,000. You should talk to your CPA about that. But as they get older and they get more active in the business, I mean, you're talking about potentially paying a 10-year-old kid $12,000 a year, which he can then put into a Roth IRA before they're 18. And we know time in the market would make that exponential growth with compound interest. Like your kids could be millionaires by the time they're 20 years old. Uh, if you do that. So I did want to, and, and what does that do for you personally on taxes? So you take 12 grand of income that you don't like, you're going to pay that back to uncle Sam, most likely if you're earning a ton of money, instead of that, you're positioning it as an expense to pay an employee also known as your kid and then growing legacy wealth for them. And they're able to put it into a tax bucket, like a Roth IRA before they're even 18 years old. So, and then the last thing I'll say about the section 179 to kind of close the loop on this is when you start depreciating assets, whether it's an apartment or it's a vehicle or anything, you're really just moving your tax liabilities later on down the road. Because when you then transact and sell that asset again, that depreciation gets recaptured. So I think people just don't necessarily talk about that part of it. Not that you can't then go do something else, buy another vehicle, depreciate that other vehicle in a different tax year. But every year you have to be playing checker. You have to be playing chess, not checkers with this and having a good game plan to continue to move the tax liability. I think the ultimate hack is dying. And then you have a step up tax basis to your kids, right? So then you're transferring the legacy. You die, your kids are taking it at a different tax basis than where your tax basis is. And it's reducing the taxes immensely. So that's my, uh, those are a couple other things that I feel like, you know, don't get talked about that often. Hey, Adam, on the paying your kids. So what's, what's the tax benefit there? So every year as a business owner, if you're looking at, you know, let's say, let's say you, your business has a net $1 million in profit, then you're looking at it that in November, October, you're going, Oh my gosh, we're going to have a million bucks. We're going to pay a ton of taxes. So I want to pre-spend expenses sometimes for the next year. So I may look to go, okay, well, I can pay my kids because they've done all these things in the business and I'll just take some of that money and I can pay $12,000. So now it's an expense. It's no longer income. I just shaved off a part of the income. So that's less taxable income. And I'm putting, 
I'm taking that expense and actually putting it into a place where it provides legacy and wealth to my family and continues to help them grow. So it's expensing. It's basically just expensing. Yeah. So it reduces the business's income for tax purposes. But what about um, what about your kids? Wouldn't they have to then pay taxes on that income? No, they do not. Anything under I don't don't quote me on the amount, but anything under I think twelve thousand dollars is not taxed. Yeah, I think it's twelve thousand nine hundred and fifty for twenty twenty two. So so you're saying that your children wouldn't pay taxes on it, and you're going to put that away in a tax advantaged vehicle, maybe. Yeah, and uh, then let it grow tax-free for the next however many years. Yeah, what an awesome idea. I don't have kids, and so I can't comment on the efficacy of this personally, but I thought that they would still pay Social Security and self-employment tax, but their their marginal tax rate federally is zero. Is that accurate? I don't think so. Yeah, I'll have to dig into it a little bit, but I'm, I'm with Adam here. I thought it was completely tax-free. Well, I mean, it's worth looking into, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Something I wanted to mention to the group about uh, why I take this so seriously is I still will have a W-2 job for about another two years. The amount of tax liability I incurred a couple of years ago because I did not know these rules was about one-third of my entire uh, after-tax W-2 income. Because I had all these other real estate things going on, I wasn't really paying attention to my investments. I was buying and selling. The ROI was great, but I wasn't leveraging tax saving strategies properly. And I got hit with a pretty big whammy of a bill. And uh, that kind of caught my attention. Does anybody have any books or anything that they have read to help increase their knowledge or podcasts or meetups or whatever besides just a person CPA? That kind of helps can you know give somebody a solid foundation. Yeah, highly recommend listening to the Green Squad Chats podcast. I read Tax Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. Uh, that was a good book on on taxes. I thought he's part of the Rich Dad series. So anyone out there who's familiar with Rich Dad Poor Dad, Tom Wheelwright is part of that uh, part of that group. And Tax Free Wealth is a pretty good book. That would have been my recommendation as well for books. I think he's uh, Robert Kiyosaki's CPA or was at some point. And we all know Robert Kiyosaki. We got to drop this real quick, James, because Robert Kiyosaki was a Marine, is a Marine, once Marine. I was going to say, I thought it was, is a Marine. Another tool that should be considered pretty carefully, especially if you're moving from one investment to another, is the 1031 exchange. What it serves to do is not cancel your tax liability, but it's deferring it down the road. So instead of paying the two main types of tax that you would owe on selling an investment, a real estate investment, which would be capital gains tax, as well as depreciation recapture. You're pushing that out to a later date. How it works is you have a property that you're selling called the relinquished property. You have a property that you're buying called the replacement property. There's a lot of kind of quirky timing tricks and tips to use, but uh, in general, you're going to consult with a qualified intermediary who's going to facilitate that transaction you're going to sell the relinquished property. You have 45 days to identify up to 45 days to identify a replacement property. You have a total of 180 days, which includes that 45 day period to close on one of three properties that you identify during the identification window. Uh, So the timing can be tricky. And one of the bigger downfalls of this, even though it's a really incredible tax advantage, one of the downfalls is if you don't close on one of the three properties that you identified after the 45-day period, that capital is locked up for a total of 180 days. You cannot access it. So uh, I don't, I don't like being in the business of having my money tied up where I can't use it. So that's just something to consider. 
Uh, I did my first 1031 exchange last year and it was successful. What about price, James? Yeah, it's a great point. So just generally speaking, you're always going to have to level up. So you want to pursue buying something at a higher price point than what you sold yours at so that you don't, uh, you don't incur a tax liability called boot. There's two types of boot. There's mortgage boot and cash boot. So if you had a loan outstanding on the property that you sold, you're going to have to get a loan at or above the same value on the next property. And the cash value is also going to have to be at or above that same value. So you're always going to do this into a more expensive property, but scale that over time. It can be incredibly effective tax, uh, tax advantage tool. Man, that was a powerful episode. There's a ton of, ton of value in here. LLCs, taxes, and S corp paying your kids, depreciation, 1031 section 179. And that's like, that's the playbook. Yeah. And don't forget the power of having strong advisors and a strong team in your corner to help you navigate some of these things that, you know, as people heard throughout our chat today, uh, we're, we're by no means experts at this. We're talking about this from our perspective and things that we're working with our team, our advisors, our CPAs uh, to help us through. And I think that's a, that's a really critical point. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, I think that's what a lot of people do. They just don't, don't want to ask questions because they don't want to sound dumb or are unsure or whatever. I go into my CPA and I'm like, hey, can I do this? And then he's like, no, you're an idiot. And I'm like, cool, thanks. <laughs> Just so you guys know, some of the tools that I've used to save myself an immense amount of taxes, like one of you guys might have just mentioned in a meeting one day, I was like, I should look more into that. And then I did. And I was like, whoa, huge tool. I need to be using that. And then I, I affected it. So just being in the right room sometimes can be all that you need to spark that curiosity pursue the knowledge, implement. Yes. Listening, being humble, asking yourself, I might not know everything. What can I learn? Let me be quiet here and listen. Maybe I'm going to pick something up that'll help me. What can I learn from this? All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Green Squad Chats. Hope you enjoyed today's episode on taxes. Until next time. 